Welcome to the next edition of the Resources Podcast Series. In this episode, we had the opportunity to visit David Ross, co-owner of MMJ America in Denver, Colorado, and discuss his cannabis dispensary and grow operations, how he approaches risk management issues involved in the cannabis space, and where he believes the industry is headed. David, let's talk a little bit about your business first. How long has your dispensary been in business? We actually started in 2009, uh, very primitive back then. We were one of the first. We got started in Cherry Creek. Uh, we ran for probably five, six months before everyone else kind of jumped on the bandwagon in 2009. Uh, it created somewhat of a disturbance here in Colorado because all of a sudden we had over a thousand dispensaries because there wasn't any type of licensing or any of this type of thing in place. You would basically get a business license and you'd be off in business. Uh, once Colorado realized the snowball that was happening here, uh, they put the brakes on everybody and everybody had to be licensed. Unfortunately, a lot of people got hurt because people came here and opened up businesses thinking they'd be allowed to do business, especially after several months or a year, you feel fairly comfortable. But then as they put the regulations in place, you had to actually have residency here in Colorado for two years, which knocked out a bunch of people. You couldn't have any type of uh, large arrest records, felonies, this type of thing, which knocked out people. If you had tax issues, uh, child support issues, so, you know, it was like boom, 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 and they knocked quite a few away, which a lot of people lost a lot of money. So it really wasn't the way to do it. We went through all that from 2009 to 2013-14. We made it through. Uh, we started buying up more stores. We literally started with just the four of us, and now it's grown to over, you know, 60 employees, 100,000 square feet worth of uh, grow space you know, which in layman's word means, you know, about 4,000, 5,000 pounds of cannabis a year. So we've gone through our ups and downs. Uh, now here comes insurance. No one ever had insurance before. We were all just take your chances, pay your nickel, take your chances. Now we've got some professional qualified people that have come along and helped us in the insurance industry. And what is that? It's qualified the cannabis business. To me, we're no longer the black sheep, black market type of business. We are a business like anything else. The margins were great back in 2013, 14. Now it's just like any other business. Uh, it's very hard to compete uh, and you need insurance to stay uh, afloat uh, for all different reasons, health, medical, theft, uh, all different things that the insurance industry has brought to us. Uh, and it's important you get involved with someone that really knows what they're doing. We're thankful to someone like that, that is able to bring us through at an affordable price, you know, and keep us protected. So now here we are in 2018 and we're facing other issues. Uh, the, the state has too many dispensaries, too many grows, put it in perspective, almost like Starbucks or I'm from back East, Dunkin' Donuts maybe, where you see them on every corner. So naturally supply and demand, uh, you know, it comes into a big play here, which again, now you're starting to dot your I's and cross your T's as far as expenses, because the margins aren't ridiculous anymore. And the one thing that you look at is protection and safety. And how can we get through this at an affordable price? Uh, again, which is what the insurance industry has brought to us. So here we are 2018, ready to fight the new battles. And we are in other states now. We've opened up in Nevada, uh, in Las Vegas, and we'll be open in Puerto Rico soon. And 
our founder, Jake Salazar, who did start the company back in 2009, uh, is getting us involved in uh, California as well on a large scale. So this is what we're doing is uh, concentrating on the out-of-state deals as well as uh, refining and uh, putting our operations in Colorado into tip-top shape. With all of the locations you just mentioned, how many dispensaries do you own? We have, I count them like in here, you're in one building, but there are actually two dispensaries. There is a medical dispensary that I haven't shown you yet that looks very similar to the rec, a little smaller. And they are separate license. Uh, we pay separately on everything. So I consider this two stores. We have the same type of operation in Boulder for two stores, and we will have the same uh, type of operation on Sheridan. So really six stores, uh, three locations. And that's just in the Denver area? Yes. But you're also in other states and branching out into other countries, right? Yes, we are in uh, Las Vegas. We did open up last year uh, and we are in Puerto Rico as well will be open. And as far as Australia, we are open there. But as far as our grow techniques, the company has hired us to oversee their grow operations and handle that for them. So, and that's what we offer around the country is uh, uh, one from column A, one from column B. If you want us to run the whole show like we do in Vegas and take on our name, MMJ America, uh, we, we would love that. But if not, sometimes they just want us handling operations or just the grow operations or front end. And, uh, and this is what we do around the country. When you're setting up these businesses or businesses come to you for consultation, is there a difference between setting up as a medical dispensary only versus setting up as a recreational dispensary? On medical side, which is where you usually start in each state, they very rarely open up rec uh, at the same time medical. They usually open up medical just to see how it's going to go. And again, these are patients. You know, these are not customers. These people come in and they're trusting you with the cannabis that they want you to grow for them. Uh, they're trusting you to grow the strains that they need. What does that mean? Well, there's THC levels, which are the levels uh, that you will medicate at. If you want to medicate more, you would want a higher THC level. Some people like to medicate less. So it doesn't make it a less of a product or not as good just because it's not as strong because some people like that. I guess you might somewhat relate it to, to alcohol and liquor. You know, some people like sticking with wine and beer and it's very comfortable for them. And then other people, uh, you know, like their, uh, their vodka and, and, and these other type whiskey and, and so forth. So same, you know, same type of thing. Uh, and they trusting you to do that for them. You know, if they were to come in on the medical side and you're only growing high end stuff and uh, different products that, that, that are not for them, uh, they'll go to another, uh, another facility. <clears throat> So you have to work with them on that level. What can we do? What, what do you need? What can we get from you? Once you go to the rec side, and I've been asked this question by reporters where they say, well, you're on the medical and you're so concerned and now it's rec and it's a party and let's go. And it's not really that. What it is is, believe me, on the rec side, there are a lot of people that use it for medication, but they just don't want to be on the paperwork. Uh, for instance, they may want to have a gun and you can't have a gun and have your medical card uh, together. They may work for the school systems. They may work for a, n a number of uh, you know, public uh, companies or, uh, so that they can't be on record. And uh, it's this type of thing. So I would say on our rec side, you know, it's about 50-50. People that are coming in for recreational use and enjoyment and people are coming in for their ailments and what have you because the same things that are on the medical side are available on the rec side as far as when I say that CBD patches that are strictly for uh, relief of pain and will not give you any kind of high at all. Roll-ons. Uh, 
and creams and different things like this. So the same type of things are offered on the rec side as on the medical side, not as strong. Medical side, you can go as high as 25 milligrams uh, a drink. Uh, and on the rec side, you can only go 10 milligrams. So in other words, a person would have to drink, you know, five, six sodas to really get out of control. And it's pretty tough to drink five, six sodas at one sitting. Uh, it used to be you'd have 100 milligrams uh, in a bottle. So if you drank that bottle, you know, you could end up talking to a fire hydrant somewhere down the road and be a little out of control. And we tell people this, you know, we have to tell people at the counter, you have to be very careful. You'll take some of these edibles, you'll wait 10, 15, 20 minutes, you won't feel it. If you take more, it's, it could cause harm. You really have to take, wait an hour, hour and a half. You don't feel it, wait till the next day. Much like a pill that you would take from a doctor. If you took a pill for some type of relief and it didn't work, I don't know that you would take more without calling the doctor and seeing if that would be okay. So they may call and ask the bud tenders, is it okay for us to do it? And of course we instruct them when they purchase it. Okay. So. so when you're setting up a business plan, is it different for a medical dispensary versus a recreational business plan? Sure, because on the medical side, they won't go for a lot of the things that go on the rec side. Cartridges that we do, uh, cartridges are something they put in these little pens, they're vapor pens. A lot of the guys on the medical side like it a little stronger, so they don't really do that. So there's a lot of products on the medical side that, that don't sell on medical, but would sell on rec. So when you would set up a medical uh, business, you would have this in mind and use those type of products. Where with REC, a lot of people come in and want the edibles, they want the salad dressings, they want the hot chocolates and the lemonades uh, that they can make and participate with cannabis on a low level. Again, always 10 milligrams. So it's a very low level. In doing the research, we have different laws federally versus the state's laws where recreational use of cannabis is allowed, but marijuana use is still federally restricted. How do you approach that challenge in your business? Well, every state, you're right, does have different rules and gets wide range. I mean, Pennsylvania, for instance, uh, they're gonna have it, but they won't allow any smokables. So what does that mean? Well, edibles and, and uh, lotions, uh, things like this. So what we have to do is get regs and regulations from each state uh, and we read them carefully. Uh, Marcus Moore, who is our chief operating officer, he runs our Vegas operation right now, but he does handle a lot of this and overseeing the rules of each state, Puerto Rico, Detroit, California, because they are very different. So you do have to uh, get these regulations, look over them, speak with attorneys in these local areas and make sure that you have it right because there are no second chances. In, in, in Vegas, there are no second chances here. Eh, ish, you know, you, you, you're, you'd be in trouble, you make these mistakes. It's well documented throughout Colorado that people have made mistakes and haven't corrected them, have, have faced penalties, uh, which is a good thing, I think. Uh, we don't have any infractions against us, knock on wood. So we've held that in check and one of the ways we do it, and I know we'll get to this further down the road, is by compliance, which is extremely important, whether you're talking insurance or the cannabis or the bud tenders, it's all about you know the right way or the wrong way. And in an industry like this that's changing, like you just said, in each state, each city, each county, somebody has to be up on this daily and weekly and monthly. How do you keep your employees educated as these laws change? Well, we have uh, weekly meetings as well as once a month we have the whole company together. 
uh, where we'll bring uh, different news uh, articles that we have or different things that we could bring to show everybody what's going on, the different changes. I'll give you an example. Out there you saw some sample jars where people are able to open the sample jar and actually you know, smell it. We don't really like them to touch it. But what happens with that product when we're done with that? I mean, do some stores take that and roll that into pre-rolls after it's been stuck in people's noses or a company like us, we destroy it, we document it, we take a picture of it and we reload every two weeks of samples, but we assure the public that we're not using this you know, to pre-roll. So again, this is something that we've learned from the health department, that people have had health issues, uh, something that you don't think about. Again, like insurance, we always thought we had it together until Gary came in and said, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? And, uh, you know, you think you know it all until you realize that, that you don't. And little things like that. So uh, different tidbits you have to meet on a weekly basis. Are you wearing gloves? You know, are you not? What's, what are the different things that are happening that might annoy a customer or a health department official? What kind of training do your employees go through when they come to work for you? They get 30-day training. Uh, they get a booklet to take home that they will sign off on on the booklet. So as they're with us from time to time, they might say, didn't learn this, didn't know that. And we bring them back to the booklet that they signed and went through. Uh, not so much to finger point, but maybe to review you know, and go through, people do forget things, but that's why it's good that we send them home in writing. And if we have any new things come through, like what I just said, we're able to put that into their booklets, reopen the booklets for them and, 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 and add it to them. Uh, so they're constantly seeing the different things. Uh, if they have questions and someone isn't around, which you've been at our facility now for an hour or so, you see we're around all the time, so they can get to us. But in case they're home, they have it writing right in front of them. They must pass a test after 30 days. If they don't, they get a second chance to do it. And by the way, I'm paying them through this whole process. So we really have to look at a person during the interview process and say, is it worth it? Because we know, you know, for six weeks, it's undecided. You know, you gotta go with your gut feeling because you may fail the test and I may want you to go through it again, give you a second chance, maybe even a third chance. People get nervous, uh, bad night, different things. But yes, you must pass a written test before you can go to the counter and be a bartender. A large portion of your sales, if not all, are in cash. What risk does that present to your employees themselves handling those sums of cash and also to you as the business owner? It's, it, you're very much exposed. Uh, Again, you know, these employees, plenty of them have worked in casinos. We have casinos here and they come from that kind of casino background. So they're used to the cash uh, and what have you. Uh, again, as far as theft with them, not that I think that's what you were mentioning, but it's one of the, you know, the areas that we cover. They know the cameras, they know the counting system. Uh, I was in the casino business for years back in the 70s. And I learned a lot in the casino business. And one of the things it taught me is to always have people watching people constantly. Uh, it's just a good policy. Again, you're in the casino, you've got the 21 dealer, behind him you have the floor man, behind him you have the pit boss, and then the shift boss watching him and the casino manager watching the whole thing. And I've learned from that. So we do the same policies here where there's people always watching, signing off on other people. So if there's gonna be an issue, there's gonna be a bunch of people in on that issue uh, to be able to achieve what, what you're doing. Uh, once it leaves that level and it's all accounted for, then it gets pretty intense because if you're talking six stores, you could be talking as much as 30 to 40,000 cash a day. 
uh, times seven days. So what we do is have a security team that delivers all our product to the stores, picks up all the cash. Uh, this is an independent company and they will bring it all back to us. And uh, now we do have a bank account. Uh, you didn't have them before. So now what'll happen is the bank itself, itself has uh, a company that picks up the cash. We bring it all to this location. They come and pick it up and it goes into a bank account. So uh, again, knock on wood, we've kind of achieved getting a bank account uh, after years. We really thought it would have been here two years ago. Huge security risk, you know, because these people are watching. And as we all talked about in the lobby out front, this is why we have security all the time here, uh, as well as out on the streets and protection uh, for our, our kids, as well as panic buttons uh, that you and I talked about earlier. Uh, again, different triggers. We don't just sit on one level. You saw we had two different levels of security, as well as uh, panic buttons. So again, this helps with our insurance. You know, insurance comes in and wants to know they're, they're going to insure on theft. They're going to insure if something happens. They want to know what we're doing to help them mitigate some of these things happening. And of course, it might help with our premiums down the road as I don't hit him with different things. <laughs> You've mentioned several things put in place to mitigate exposure, such as security for the building, keeping a security officer on premises, having product delivered and then cash taken. What other risk management techniques do you use to protect yourself, your employees, and your products? Well, we also have extra monitoring. So as well as you see these people moving through the facilities, there's also live monitoring going on. I don't just mean someone that comes in a few hours later and looks at stuff. They're literally sitting at a wall of cameras and keying in and out. Uh, even to the point where in the middle of the night, if pe people approach our grows, they literally get on and say, almost like you see in the TV commercials, we're looking at you right now and the cops are on their way and they literally, you can see them turn and run. Uh, again, we don't have to have that, but every little extra thing that we can, you know, put in, uh, panic buttons. Uh, all of the uh, bud tenders have panic buttons on their, uh, on their belt buckles, easily accessible. Plus up here, if they're leaning over, it's always getting in their way. So it's pretty easy to get to your belt buckle. And there's about a three minute response time. Uh, you know, other than that, we do have constant security checks of our own. As you're leaving the facility, we may check if you have a backpack. Uh, and we tell you this when we hire you. Uh, we're sorry. It's just the way it is. I mean, other companies way back in the day did all kinds of weird things when you were in counting rooms that we won't even go into. Uh, but what we will do is, is check, you know, and, or at least ask you, you know, can we check you for product uh, as well as cash? Uh, if there's an issue. Cash is pretty tough because we do have a great tracking system in the, uh, at the uh, registers. Uh, it does tell everything. Uh, like you saw earlier, everything is driven by tags in this, in this industry. And as soon as we uh, pop a seed and it grows into like a six inch clone, which it's not a plant yet, when we officially take that and put it into veg, its first state of growing, it gets a, a, a tag. It'll be a yellow tag for medical, it'll be a blue tag for rec. Those tags can never be switched. As much as you would think like halfway through it, if I was like, boy, I need a little more, you know, recreational product than medical, you know, just take three, that's is against the law as it comes in this industry. You cannot touch it. You think they would allow you to do it with maybe a penalty, you know, that you'd pay for it. No, you cannot touch it. 
So it's tough because it takes three, three and a half months. So you better know what you're doing because if all of a sudden, you, know, you can't tell me to bake more donuts. You know, it doesn't happen that way and I can't call Cisco and order more donuts. So you really have to know what you're doing with these tags and the state will check these tags from seed to sale. Why? Well, maybe I'm gonna go take two or three of these and walk out the back door and sell it illegal to somebody. They will pick that up in a second. Uh, we will pick that up in a second if that happens, if one of our employees do it. So these are things that we protect. And you know, I kind of call it keeping honest people honest. You know, if you give someone a thought and you give someone an opportunity, you could turn an honest person into a dishonest person very easily. In this day and age of people living check to check, you got children, you got government changing rules and this and that. Uh, sometimes people confuse theft with being desperate or being working for you for two years. So, you know, I'm entitled to this or I'm entitled to that. So you, you just have to be careful, you know, with that, you know, at all times. Uh, in any industry, especially the liquor business, these guys behind the bars, you know, same type of thing. So again, you, you have to do some integrity search and you're hiring people at 12 to 14 an hour. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you have to go through quite a bit to get someone who understands if I take that, I'm going to lose a job that's going to take me a lot longer to get back than that little bit, you know, that I took. Uh, and unfortunately in this country or all over the world, sometimes people will take that risk because they have to, you know, so you have to jump ahead of it and try to make it for an employee. How do we do that? Well, if someone's going to use cannabis, I'm going to go to my employees and say, look, I know you're using cannabis. You're not allowed to do it during the work. We know that just like anything else. But if you are going to use it, come to me and let's have an employee program. Let not, let me not put you in that place of trying to take something because you don't want to purchase it. Let me put you in a place where, okay, at least I can get my cannabis at a very uh, affordable price and I don't have to put that terrible thought in my head of trying to do something. So again, as a company, these are the things that you do when we're sitting back here doing a lot of this stuff. It's how can we help uh, you know, our kids? How can we help uh, our customers? How can we better the business? How can we help these bud tenders that have two, three kids and the husband's working and the wife's working and their struggles constantly? Uh, so these things are going to pop up just like in any other business. But cannabis is probably, if you're working at a Walmart, you know, I don't know if you're going to take a couple t-shirts or this or that. Whereas if you could get your hands on a handful of good cannabis, you know, they could be worth $100, just a handful. Uh, again, you know, it's something that you got to watch out for. Let's go back to the tags for just a minute. You spoke about seed to sale. That's not just a business strategy, but also a risk management strategy. You're calculating and watching that product all the way through. Mm -hmm. So at every stage, is it tagged and recorded? Yes. You, yeah, you never leave it right until, like you saw, I showed you the large storage bags. And those tags will stay on there because when these kids ring the uh, sale in, that tag will go in with it. Okay. So even the state or the uh, uh, medical marijuana enforcement division, they'll call us literally sometimes and say, wait, you put 10 pounds in uh, at the grow and the tags moved over to this store that you're sitting in and you sold seven pounds, Dave, and we don't see three pounds sitting in your inventory. They're watching. We don't see the three pounds. Where is it? Now you would say, think, oh, maybe 30, 40, 50. No, they've called me and said, you've got two pounds missing. Even to the point where when I couldn't show them the two pounds and we eventually did, they went to our Las Vegas store to see if we sent the two pounds to Vegas. 
That's how intense they are at making sure this product doesn't hit the black market or policing for the federal government to show them that no games are going on. So there's no game you can play in this business where you think, ah, they will, ah, they, they will pick it up and they'll travel state lines to prove you wrong. So uh, we have meetings in the cannabis world from time to time, all of us. And these are the things that we talk about. Yes, you're my competitor, but let's all be on the same page, you know, because, uh, you know, this is a privilege that they've given us. This isn't a right. And this privilege can be taken away in two seconds. Uh, and they've taken it away in two seconds. So you have to have that thinking all the time. So as much as I'm worried about me and my cannabis and my theft, you got to worry about insurance and what happens if this happens or that happens. Because you're dealing on a scale that we are, which is anywhere $2 million sitting in those grows at any time. You know, so one hiccup and you're out of business. So without insurance, cannabis really wouldn't survive. Agreed. Going back to those tags, when you have a claim situation, you have such a documented process that I imagine it must be significantly easier to rectify that with your agent. Absolutely. And I guess an example would be if there was a fire. And, you know, we went and we, we said to Gary, well, here it is. And he said, well, okay, pr prove it to me. I mean, yeah, I got to see proof, guys. I mean, I believe y'all and I love y'all, but you know, you're talking 2,000 plants here and it's two, 300, 400, 500 plant. We, we put different numbers at different stages of the plant. So if something happens when it's in cloning, you're only going to get so much because the plant just started. If something's going to happen when it's sitting in the room in storage, that's product ready to go. That's going to be a much higher number. But if these things aren't documented, Gary can't take care of us and his company can't insure us. So. It's a domino thing. It, it, it all works. If he went to a state where there were no tax, well, kind of like California. You know, we were talking about California earlier, and it's, it's a little crazy uh, for, for him there because there's just no way for him to follow the story if somebody needs him. You know, it's, it's like anything else. Insurance, they want to see what your house is worth, what you put into I mean, you know, the same old thing. So it's a numbers game. And if you can't give them the proper numbers, they can't possibly insure you. So again, the tags is important for everybody. It's important for the state, for no black market. It's the only way insurance could come in and participate. It's good for me for tracking uh, you know, my product and, and what's going on. So you know, I, I think Colorado's done a real good job. Uh, they've made their mistakes. You know, uh, Again, I think too many and this and that. I'm thankful I'm one of the too many. But uh, I think they've done you know, 80%, 85% a, a good job. I think Nevada's done a great job. California's got a long way to go. Florida's complicating things beyond. Uh, Puerto Rico is speeding things up now because of what happened to them in the last year. So they're looking to be very lenient and, and let you know, recreational uh, cannabis go on, especially with companies that have been doing it for years and have been vetted you know, in different states. So that, that's what's gonna happen in the future is, hey, who are you, what are you? Where else are you doing business? What companies are you doing business with? Uh, that's, that's where this industry's going. Let's talk about the insurance program that you have with Gary and his agency. What products do you have in place? Well, we have theft, we have product, uh, missing product. Uh, 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 if we have business interruption and the business goes down for whatever reason, uh, and there may be a few that he, he wouldn't accept. You know, we've gone through that. I can tell you the great thing about working with Gary and Rick is when they came in, it's like, guys, what do you need? 
And then they put it down for us and we kind of looked at it to see what we can afford. And then if we had any issues down the road, they were right back in to say, okay, well, maybe you don't need as much here as you think you do. And, and, and so what I liked about it is, is it wasn't that they were here selling us the, and I think you should have this product. And I think you should, you know, it's to the point where now our premiums are times and a half, one and a half what we can't afford. As instead they came and they said, what works for you? you know, that you can afford, that will still cover you, that's enough, that's this and that. And they've done it a couple times, you know, come down here. And that's important to us because, I mean, they've saved us quite a bit of money and still kept us well insured and still said things to us like, look guys, when things are a little different, you're gonna, this insurance, you're gonna go back up to here. This, you're gonna go back up to here. So you got somebody working with you that feels you're, it's not just, oh, you're in the cannabis business, you can afford anything, which is what people think nowadays. And believe me, it's not that at all anymore, especially in this state. So you need help like that. And you can do that. In the beginning, guys were like, well, this is 20,000 and this is 30. And then we don't know what we're gonna give you on this. And we don't know what we're gonna give you on that. And of course, thank God we never needed it anyway. But now it's much more professional, uh, like, like any other type of insurance. If I had a 95-story office building, he talks the same way as, as if uh, as in, in my cannabis grows. So, you know, insurance has become uh, one of the most important tools. E even more important than growing, because growing now, you can get cannabis so inexpensive that you don't even have to grow anymore. You can go, you know, go and purchase it, you know? So, it's, uh, it's important. And do you have coverage for the structure? Yes. Do you have liability coverage for clients coming on the premises if they get hurt? Yes, yes. And these are some of the things that he helped us when we had issues and we will go back up. But we do try to blanket and cover all those type of things. Uh, you know, you got snowstorms here. Someone could walk in and slip on ice, uh, all different issues. What about workers comp? Yes, we do. Yes. And uh, again, very important. Uh, didn't do it for years, but then this became a real business. So again, when you get up around 50, 60 employees, it does become a number. And it's something that, uh, you know, like I say, in the beginning of this industry, the margins were so fantastic that you could close your eyes and throw a dart and you were gonna make money. Needless to say, that didn't last. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, it's a normal business uh, covering normal situations like any other, other industry. You were speaking about going from the growth stage and getting it here. So I imagine that you have coverage for in transit? Yes. For both the product itself and for the cash leaving the dispensary? Yes. Yes. Yes, we do. And these are some of the things that are costly, you know, so you have to look at these things and decide, you know, do you need 50,000 or is 25,000 enough? You know, how much do you handle? How much do you carry? And again, the guys come down and literally go through that with us. I and mean, it's almost like a doctor checkup. They will call us and for a physical and say, guys, we're coming down, let's go through this. I know you're busy, but take an hour or so. And each time we do, uh, we always walk away very glad that they came in and, uh, to visit with us because uh, I don't wanna call it a double-edged sword, that's not fair. It's something that you need, but yet, and it's a big number, so you wanna work with someone that doesn't treat you like you got all the money in the world and don't worry and don't worry. You know, you wanna work with someone that's very sensitive to you like they would be in any other, uh, with any other businessman. You know, so that, and that's, it's come full circle with that. What has been your most challenging situation to date as a business owner in the cannabis industry? Just the competition. You know, the competition is so fierce that you must wake up every day 
looking to better yourself, your company, help your employees? Uh, what can I do a little better today for my customers? Uh, you know, again, you know, with over a thousand dispensaries, from where you and I are sitting right now, you could probably walk, you know, a hundred steps in two different directions and be at two different dispensaries. So if I don't perform for you here and get you what you want at the price that you want, you're just gonna walk out the door and walk 50, 60 steps to the next dispensaries, much like a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts. And that's actually good for the consumer, you know, because the competition's out there, so they, you know, they get to really pick and choose. So it's exciting for them, and it's exciting for the tourists that come in from out of state because they're not just sent into, listen, if I was the only guy in town, are you kidding me? So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Competition is good. You know, there's a reason why when you pull into a Wendy's that there's usually a McDonald's and a Burger King and a Dairy Queen and a Kentucky Fried Chicken right next to each other. You know, there's a reason. You would think common sense, eh, but no, it's better that they're all together. Uh, the consumers like it and uh, better to keep track of. So, but that's it, is it, heavy competition. I happen to love the competition, so it's nice, but if you don't like competition, some of my employees that handle uh, my, my general manager or my buyers, you know, they get a little upset and I tell them, guys, this, this is the industry. You know, if you don't like this, you gotta go to, go to work somewhere else. You know, this is high pressure. Uh, high pressure, it's not high pressure. It's just things changing all the time. You know, so you gotta be you know, adaptable to that. I wouldn't call it high pressure though. Well, talking about your competition, what advice would you give someone wanting to start a dispensary that you wish someone had given to you? Well, for starters, do it out of the state because I don't want to compete with you. And it, and it is so tough, really. But at the same time, there are little operations. We call them mom and pop. I don't think that's such a great name because mom and pop seems to imply small, but mm, I've seen some one stores that are fantastic. You know, there are super stores here in Colorado that you could walk into that'll blow your mind. I mean, two, 300 strains, jars this side go on for miles. And there's what I call small boutique stores. I like that name better than a mom and pop. And why? Because they really cater to you. So I would tell you, get one store, really cater to your patients. Let them become loyal. Let them know that you're not a big shot and you're going to have everything for them. And you can create a business where you can make yourself $100,000, $150,000 a year, which is a lot of money as far as I'm concerned, and uh, not work that hard. You know, I'm running around crazy with six stores. I'm like a, in a shooting gallery, you know? Uh, but, but that's what we chose. You know, you either got to cheat, are you going to be big or are you going to be small? If you get caught in the middle, it can get a little tough sometimes. So you gotta decide, but that's what I would tell someone. Smart, start small, stay true to your patients, you know, stay humble, and you're gonna make yourself a real decent salary and live in a beautiful place. You know, now you want a lot of aggravation and craziness? Do what I'm doing, you know? And, uh, but I really think there's a win at the end. I really do. I think if I get Nevada, and I got Puerto Rico, and here, and California, uh, before I turn 100 years old in a few months, that I could sell these things for something decent, and you know, go give tennis lessons to my grandchildren, which is what I really want to do. So, <laughs> you touched on this earlier, but where do you see the industry going in the next ten years? I see it going big companies. You know, R.J. Reynolds, all these big companies. As soon as the federal government adjusts some things and do some different things, I wouldn't be surprised if these big companies, Marlboro and this and that, have stuff ready to go. 
uh, you know, R&D happening. I just, I can kind of feel that. And when it all changes, I would expect them to come in and buy up the large companies that have the large grows, that have all the stores. Uh, out here in Colorado, you have Native Roots, you have LiveWell, Green Solution. I mean, these are companies that are doing 70, 80 million dollars a year in business. Huge, huge numbers. Uh, this is where the big companies will go. And that's, that's my out and my partner's out, is someday to put this together as a package, maybe somewhere 2020, 23, uh, and, and, and we would sell out to the, to the larger groups. Now, where cannabis is going, you know, it's funny. I grew up in the 70s and stuff when cannabis was you know, very readily used. People don't like to inhale anymore. People don't like smoke anymore. People are much more health conscious, although we thought we were so conscious in the 70s. And so I don't even know if, if in 10 years from now, they'll be smoking it. It may be just a pill form, you know, where you take the pill, sativa, indica, I wanna sleep, I wanna wake. To me, it takes away from the fun of it. I'm more a traditionalist, so I kind of like the camaraderie of everybody. Well, it's like going to a bar and having a drink. I mean, would you like to take a pill and make it feel like you had two vodkas? I kind of like having the drinks and talking with the guys and cigars and all that. So I'm hoping it doesn't go away, but I see with the edibles and the different things, it's, it's moving in that, in that area. So I don't think it's a terrible thing. You know, I, I just, it'll evolve into that. Last question. What is the most common misconception that you would like to dispel about the cannabis industry? That we're making tons of money. We are not making tons of money. Uh, there's all types of tax implications, uh, different things that the government still hasn't straightened out. So you're in an industry that's moving and changing and you've got to be okay with that. You can't want to sue the medical marijuana division of the city. Things are going to change. And that takes money and that takes patience. So, you know, the misconception is this is, if I get into it, the money just falls from the sky. And I can assure you that's the farthest from the truth. It's, it's a hard industry just like anything else. So, and it's even worse because you can't send to other states. It takes three and a half months. I used to be in the donut business. I owned uh, Dunkin' Donuts down in Key West, Florida years ago. But if I made a mistake, you call Cisco and here comes the dough. If there was a hurricane in the dough, here comes the dough, you know, time to make the donuts. But you were able to do that. With this, if you misfire, you're out, you know, and you could have a whole grow and a disease goes through there you're wiped out, you just lost a million dollars. And to come back from that can be tough. If you've got insurance, you've got a shot. But really insurance has just come into play in the last couple of years of real insurance that I call it. And that's what uh, Gary and Rick bring to us is real insurance. Not just an insurance company that comes in and says this and that. And then when you call them, they're like, uh, uh, you know, they respond, well, just they're a professional company, you know, just like you would expect. So. Yeah, the misconception is just the moolah, you know? It's, it's okay, you can make a good living is, you know, if you work hard and do things right. Thank you for watching our resources video cast. We would like to thank David Ross and his exceptional staff at MMJ America in Denver, Colorado for allowing access to his dispensary and grow operation. Look for more information about insurance and risk management within the cannabis industry in our upcoming programs. For more podcasts, visit our website at seic.com.